You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us for the next half hour as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Ellis. You know, I have to tell you, when you were saying a few weeks ago that there would be a pullback, a correction, if you will, with plenty of buying opportunities, I thought, how can this be? But time after time, you always seem to be right. Well, I, I sure can't say I'm right all the time, but I it just intuitively we kind of thought this would happen you know, by looking at charts, by looking at different things. So it's, uh, you know, nothing goes straight up. So it's, I, I know most of us, it, having patience is very difficult you know, we want to get excited. We want to get fully on board with this bull market. And I'm substantially so, you know. I mean, m- meaning, you know, probably 90%. I've been hoping for a pullback, and we're finally starting to get a little bit of a pullback in gold. I still do not personally look for a major, much more than what we've got now. But we could get back, you know, to 1700 So, you know, we could still give back another $30, $40 an ounce here. And that would be cool. That would be setting up, hopefully, some better buying opportunities on some of our little stocks. You never said a major pullback. You said correction and still a buying opportunity, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't look for any, any collapse here by any means. It's just the fact that, you know, through the course of the bull market, I mean, we've come off of the major collapse. That's what we wrapped up, you know, several months ago. And now we've had a nice rally to the upside. And I think it's just a normal, you know, relatively small consolidation that we should have here just to give us the strength and get a running start to take out this overhead resistance at the at the roughly 1800 level and then go straight back to the old highs of the 1900 plus and uh, and get this party really going you just have to kind of refresh yourself and rebuild your energy and get a fresh running start and i think you know next time up we'll probably easily take out the 1800 and then the old highs of 1900 and once once you get there then it's where are we at then it's game on i mean now it's all blue sky, you know, and uncharted waters. And, and this is what we're looking for, that when gold does start hitting the all-time highs, is now all the resource sector, all of the stocks are going to, at some point here, they're all going to come alive, even those little dogs and cats, that we all have some of those in our portfolio. Do you expect the election to have any effect on the market at all? You know, I guess I'd like to say I wish I was smart enough to even understand how that's going to affect us. 
I don't really see, you know, in the resource sector how this is going to play. You know, there's so many other important factors in the world with what's going on in Europe and all of the currencies in the world, just the fiat currencies backed by nothing. The U.S., you know, on the verge of the economic cliff here. To me, it probably doesn't matter whether you on, on the left or right in the States. I mean, that, that's okay, but I just don't see that either party is going to be able to deal with these issues from the financial standpoint at least on a timely basis. So I feel very comfortable that we, you know, myself and everybody listening that are investors in the resource sector, that we are in the right place to be at the right time. The question is, where the hell else are you going to be investing? So I feel very comfortable in this whole sector right now. If the election affects anything, it's just going to be a very minor hiccup in the road to further gains and, and higher prices for the metals. Still, plenty of buying opportunities, although I don't see many investors taking advantage of them. No, there's still a lot of people just sitting on the sidelines. Everybody's waiting for something, and maybe some are waiting for the election to think that there's going to be some clarity, which which I don't think so. But I think a lot of people still are shell-shocked from what had happened several months ago and how disastrous a lot of the shares got beat up. Until we can definitely get over this 1800 in gold, until we can probably really take out the old highs in gold and silver. Now, once this happens, investors have to realize that, holy crap, this is really going to happen. This resource sector is really going to come alive. And I think not just myself, but several others in the business, uh, you know, with newsletters, I still believe that the big gains in the resource sector are right in front of us. You know, so let's just distinguish, not behind us, but right in front of us. So once we take out the highs of the 1900, the old highs for gold, it's going to be game on. And then I think things are really going to get excited. And somewhere in here is like if resource investors have left the sector you know, temporarily, they're going to be back. New people coming in, new investors that finally are going to get excited coming in will ultimately be those that, that drive you know, share prices substantially higher. And that, that's why all of us listening today, we are here at the ground floor still of these opportunities. And this is why everybody listening, if, if you know, you need to be in the game right now. If you've got a little cash, that's great, you know, to play these brief pullback period. But basically, the message, my message to you is you need to be on board right now because we could turn around, you know, here this afternoon and blast off again on gold. So this has been a very quick pullback here. And I really don't look for much more to happen with gold, and and even the shares are measured by the HUI. You know, we're getting close now back down to the 480 level, and anywhere from 480 to a maximum of 460 to the downside. But the deal is we're almost getting back down to the buy zone already. This will be good news. I think this pullback is short and sweet. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion, and the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its Joy and Mount Mervyn projects. These properties are located along the Rackla Gold Belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. 
Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, expeditionmining.com. And we're back. The market took a huge nosedive, but if we were smart enough to get out before it happened and we know when to get back in and didn't get hurt too badly, even perhaps won in many cases, some of us can excel again if we proceed carefully. It's a difficult game. It's totally different. The drawdowns, disastrous effect for the mining stocks. I mean, when when gold goes down and, and the resource sector goes down, sounds terrible, but I mean, reality is, you know, if you stick with it, you could go down 80 to 90% in value, so the drawdowns are staggering. So it does take a lot of faith to play this game. And of course, it begs the question, so why the hell do you invest in this sector? Well, we invest in this sector because in the good times, there's some incredible money to be made with the 500 to 1,000% gains. And again, these big opportunities I see are still right in front of us with a whole bunch of great companies out here in the universe. And again, with really the two services I'm associated with, with the PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and the GreedyGuru.com, it's just approaching the market from several different positions, really, all with the view of looking for great opportunities, that we would see have the potential of 500 to 1,000% upside in a rip-roaring bull market, and it's fun. I enjoy doing this, and it's uh, really we're just always on the hunt for new opportunities. It's pretty cool. Dudley, once again, thanks for joining me today on the program. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you much, Ellis. I've been speaking to Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com. Join me now for a conversation with Ranting Andy Hoffman. Ranting Andy Hoffman spent 15 years on Wall Street before shifting his focus to precious metals in 2002. Over the past decade, he has become a global expert in gold and silver analysis, and in late 2011, joined Miles Franklin Precious Metals as its marketing director. Andy, welcome back to the program. It's great to be back, Alice. Silver, as of late, has been near $35 an ounce. Now, I realize you're the marketing director for Miles Franklin, and you're perhaps not unbiased, but did we really miss the boat by not buying silver under $30? Well, no. I mean, it was... 50 bucks a year and a half ago, it was 50 bucks 30 years ago, it was 50 bucks 100 years ago. There's much less silver now than there was 100 years ago or even 5 or 10 years ago. And there's a lot more printed currencies. What we've seen since we hit $50 just 18 months ago was basically massive money printing and massive suppression. It's going to go back up there and it's going to go far beyond. And everything is contributing to that. At some point, we were sort of uncertain about which way the market was going to go, but you always knew that come the fall, come another quantitative easing, seems like a permanent one, that the suppression or false manipulation couldn't hold silver down indefinitely. Right. Well, I mean, I didn't have a specific time frame other than I know the money printing will never stop. QE to infinity is is a fact of life. 
I mean, every fiat currency system by nature is a Ponzi scheme. It must keep growing in order for it to stay alive. Of course, you must also keep confidence in it. That's the Achilles heel of the, the people that are running it. Turns out it was this fall. People say, well, it's the summer doldrums, so now we're in the fall. But last year it happened in the summer and could very well happen at any time. All these same factors are contributing to continued requirement of more money printing. And it will never end until the currency collapses. So you'll have a job forever. No, I won't because the limiting factor is supply. And we have saw it when silver, for instance, went to 50 bucks. We ran out of supply. When it went to the paper price, at least, went to 8 or 9 bucks, we ran out of supply. Because the real physical price actually only fell as low as 17 because no one was selling down that low. So we try to tell everyone in our business that, yeah, you may think you're waiting for a pullback, but what you really need to do is think of protecting yourself and just having ounces because at some point we're going to run out of supply and there'll never be any left because once the fiat currency system is in play, the governments will take what little supply is left. Is there more safety in precious metals than in real estate? Well, real estate is, you know, people say, well, what should I own? Like when precious metals take off, and I say, well, I don't know what everything will look like then. And if you're talking about today, real estate is just an investment. And I try to tell people, uh, I mean, it's the number one thing I tell people, gold and silver are not investments. They are money. This is how you protect your wealth. You don't buy them hoping that they go higher. You buy them because you believe everything is going to fall in value against them. Now, when it comes to real estate, it's no different than a mining stock or a bond or anything else in the paper realm. You are buying it speculating that will go up in price. And while some real estate may be undervalued, I believe, at least here in the States, that the majority of it is vastly overvalued and, and I wouldn't touch it. How do you feel about coin collecting as an investment? Well, again, coins are not investment. I mean, if you're talking about numismatic coins, it's another story. But if you're talking about simply gold and silver bullion, that is money. I mean, no one ever asks people when they have cash sitting in the bank, what do you think of your investment in cash? That's just your savings, especially now that they have no interest rates. You don't even make any money on it. Gold and silver, yeah, they're commodities, but they're commodities that are timeless and priceless. And of course, what the metric that they're being measured in, which is fiat dollars and euros and yen, are being depreciated every day. So again, I'm not buying these things to uh, I don't even consider buying them. I think you're just simply trading in one currency for another. It turns out that this currency, gold and silver, actually has all the properties of money, unlike the dollar, which does not. You have a daily rant on milesfranklin.com, Ranting Andy. Let me ask you, what are you most happy about right now regarding the blog? Well, I'm most happy about the explosive growth in the readership and also the the participation that I'm I'm getting, you know, the amount of interaction I have on a daily basis with the readership is amazing and I think there's a tremendous awakening of people around the globe to the inevitable decline of the fiat currency. Maybe it's just a double from one or two percent of the population to two or three percent but the fact is there's a lot more people that are showing interest in things that a few years ago they wouldn't dream of showing interest in. Something like a one percent increase from one to two percent is really parabolic then isn't it? Well it's a big increase, especially when you're talking about a very limited supply of physical gold and silver, as I'm talking about, unfortunately, it still leaves 98 or 99 percent of the population unable to protect themselves. And, you know, our goal at Miles Franklin, it really, I mean, we're in the business of helping protect people, and I'd like to help as many people as we can before uh, there's nothing, you know, nothing left to protect them with. And I guess I'll take 3 or 
percent uh, instead of one or two percent, but I, I prefer that it would be a lot more. And what are you most irritated about? No, no. But, well, you know what I'm most irritated about? I'll tell you. And if you're reading my blog, you'll know. I think it's the people on our own team who kind of sabotage the cause of protecting oneself with, you know, there's a lot of newsletter writers and commentators who are constantly talking about technical charts and pullbacks and trying to turn what should be a movement toward protecting oneself by trading in their currency for real money into kind of a trading scheme. And uh, as a result, there's constantly people who are out of the game and losing money that they should not be, and it really irritates me because this is from the good guys, supposedly. Now, I need to state that Miles Franklin is a paid sponsor of the Yellow Smart Report. Let's walk our listeners into the process of owning silver. Right. It's very easy. I think most people don't realize you even can own physical gold and silver, and, and if so, they're not sure how you do it. Look, it's an unregulated business. So you have to really go with who you can trust because no one's going to stop you if you're doing bad things, if you're not being a, a good with the customer service. We've been around for 21 years and we have A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. We've never had a, a complaint. Really, all you have to do is just give us a call during the business hours and our staff will help you through the process. You pay by uh, a check or a check by phone or a wire and we send you the medal. It's that easy. I've been speaking with Ranting Andy Hoffman, the marketing director of MilesFranklin.com. Andy, thanks for joining me today on the program. You're very welcome. Thanks. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. For more information, visit our website, EllisMartinReport.com. That's EllisMartinReport.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its double zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. Now, I wasn't aware of all the projects that Alkane Resources has had over the years, evidently. We've covered the Dobo Zirconia project. We've spoken about the Tomlingley Gold project. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, while everyone is on summer vacation here in North America, you sell your interest in a McPhillamese Gold project, a joint venture that you have with Newmont Exploration, a subsidiary of the giant Newmont Mining for a paltry $75.6 million? Mm, correct. <laughs> now, why didn't we know about this? This is great news. Congratulations. What are you going to do with all that cash or stock? Well, look, it's interesting. It goes back a long way, and it's, it's just part of our exploration activities. And because when you have development projects, people don't take a lot of interest in what you're doing in an exploration sense. But we actually discovered McPhillamy's back in 2006, and by 2009, I think, uh, or 2010, reported the three million ounce resource there. And at that stage, the joint venture was with Newmont. Uh, they came in and they earned a 51% interest. And sometimes the market markets tend to take a sort of a, a light, slight negative view of when you're in joint venture with majors. I mean, you have 49%, therefore the major dominates the timetable and dominates what's being done. So in that sense, it sort of got 
push down the recognition pile, even though it probably still rates as one of the best greenfield gold discoveries in Australia in the last sort of five years or so. So yeah, it was important. It was very important to us. When you have a major like Newmont who's there looking all the time around the world at all their different opportunities, McPhillamy's probably slipped down their uh, list of priorities a little bit and it wasn't going anywhere. And fortunately, the Regis opportunity came out, Regis Resources opportunity came out and it seemed like a smart thing to do, a solar project 100% because obviously Newmont were party to that as well. And then we felt we'd sit back and hang on to the Regis shares and uh, go for a ride with them and, and get some return out of the project when they put it into production. Now the good thing about Regis is that they're already a gold producer, probably heading towards 300,000 ounces a year and maybe greater. And then with McPhillamy's coming on stream in maybe three or so years' time, they might be a half a million ounce gold producer. So they're a very substantial group, very substantial production capacity. And the shares to us, if you like, going into the bank account, they'll sit there. Uh, we have no need or desire to sell the shares at this point in time, but we'll sit on it and um, just see what happens. And it's interesting. I mean, given that the deal was done at a, at a base price of $4.20, and today Regis are already trading at $4.70 something, so we probably made 10 million dollars since we did the deal a week or so ago so it's it's useful but it's a bit like a bank account having it sitting there in the bank account and hopefully accumulating over the next year or so what was the cost to acquire and explore or define that project? Our investment's actually quite small. I mean, we acquired the ground by applying for an exploration licence. I mean, we apply for these licences as long as there's no conflicting land use or other exploration titles in there. We were granted that back in, gosh, about 2000. We did some work on it in 2000 and then sort of slowly sort of got tied up doing Tommingley and tied up doing Dubbo and that's ultimately why we farmed it out to Newmont. I mean they came to us in 2000 and said look we've done a bit of a, a geological analysis of that region uh, you've got some good properties would you be interested in joint venturing and at that stage the prime target was a different project not McPhillamy's but the nice thing about it is that because they had no presence in that region they allowed us to do all the exploration work we put up the programs and budgets they provided the cash to do that and really we finally convinced them that this area we call McPhillamy's was worth drilling. So Alcane's exposure into the project is the total project is probably less than half a million dollars. Now over the subsequent years since the joint venture got rolling Newmont have probably spent a total of 15 million dollars. So it's a good return for them and it's an extremely good return for us. So is your remaining Tomlingley Gold Project a potential takeout candidate? Not really. It's too small. It's a modest project. It's probably 800,000 ounces in the ground there today. Over time we think we could push it to a million ounces. But then the resource ounces sort of generally only equate or convert about 50 to 70 percent get converted into production ounces so it's a relatively small project and the reason we're committed to developing it is that it provides us with that bread and butter income that 20 30 million dollars a year income that'll generate for us it's just a very helpful backstop or insurance policy should for some reason Dubbo get pushed out another year or two or also to help us with our other exploration projects I and mean, we have three very good exploration projects in the same region two of which which could easily turn into ore bodies in the next two or three years. So that cash flow coming out of Tom and Liz, if you like it, it funds the company independent of Dubbo. So that's the reason we've wanted to hang on to it. Certainly we've had the you know, the broking fraternity say to us a couple of times, oh, you need to split the company up between a gold company and a rare metal, rare earth company. And our view is it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, really, it's the cash flow that matters. It doesn't matter to me whether you're producing it from gold or copper or rare earth or widgets or something else for that matter. 
matter. It's the cash flow that people should should acknowledge. And then you get valued on cash flow eventually, not on the commodity. And the diversity gives you some flexibility, gives you some, again, insurance. You know, if the gold price of dives in the next two or three years, well, we've got Dubbo sitting there, we've got other copper projects. It might be vice versa, maybe the rare earth market, again, just wild to wild speculation falls apart totally, then we've always got the gold as a backstop and the gold income. So we publicly state we're a diversified company. The difference is that that diversification is very geographically focused. One small tight area in the state of New South Wales is where we see all of our developments coming. So it's a long-winded way of answering your question, but basically at this stage we see Tommingley as an important part of the development of the company. Now copper is a metal that does well when rare earths and rare metals do well or are in demand. What kind of copper resource do you have and how do you expect to monetize that? Right now we've got a small defined copper resource. It's only about 2 million tonnes of 1% copper. It's a relatively small resource but it is open pitable and it does produce a very nice clean copper concentrate. We think we can double or triple that size over the next couple of years and get it up to say 5 to 8 million tonnes. It becomes a worthwhile project. Again, not a large copper project but something that's there and there's a market for the metal. We also have another exploration project project nearby which is a potentially much larger copper gold porphyry system. For example, Newcrest, you know, Australia's uh, still biggest gold producer or, or domestic gold producer is about 100 kilometres down the road from where we're working. Now that deposit that they have there is something like 40 or 50 million ounces in ground. Now I'm not saying we found that but this other exploration project is the same geological environment but it takes time to explore these and to develop the potential resources. So we've got a copper resource there, small but can be expanded, and nearby another sort of copper gold porphyry system, which again needs exploration. So these are the pipeline of projects that we see Alkane looking to develop over the next three to five years. And you're right about copper. I mean, it still remains an important industrial metal. It's not up there with, say, iron ore or coal or those metals, but it's a very important metal in any industrialisation. And you look at the graphs that companies like Rio Tinto and BHP put out, they'll show how copper growth is dependent upon the stage of development of a country. Now, as you get up into stable development in most Western countries, for example, the copper demand is fairly flat, but maybe grows at 3 or 4% per annum. Countries like China, which are in this enormous growth phase, that copper demand can be 10 to 15% per annum. So there's still a big demand going forward for copper in the next sort of 10 to 20 years as countries like China and India industrialise. It's a good metal. It's an interesting metal to be involved in, and so we see a lot of future in it. This is not a new company, and years ago you spent quite a bit of time staking out the area in New South Wales with the knowledge that down the road, or in the future, there'd be a market for everything in a polymetallic sense that you have found. That's always been the strategy. It's something we've believed in in the metals business. We've believed in where it's going. We've certainly believed in the rare metal, rare earth business. And said I've been involved in it for 25 years. Probably 15 years ago, you know, I felt we were about to go through the transition where these metals would really start to come into their into their own as being you know, new age metals or environmentally necessary metals and. That's all been part of the general strategy. So you're right. I mean, the company's been around for many years, but going back uh, to our involvement, it's probably the early 90s, 1990 onwards, uh, we really did put a big effort into building up our land position and then ultimately having the strategy of multiple developments. Let's talk about rare earths and rare metals specifically. While two of the largest companies in the space, Lioness and Molycor, have experienced a bit of a takedown, and some of my peers are calling the sector somewhat of a bubble, the fact remains 
that you have memorandums of understandings, or MOUs, for probable offtake agreements for everything you'll have coming out of the double area, correct? That's correct, yes. You're right about the negative sentiment that's crept into the industry. And it, I mean, it's generally wrong. I mean, people have got to stand back. Okay, we did go through an enormous bubble-type effect back in uh, early last year, middle of 2011, but it's now starting to stabilise, and I think over the next year or so, you'll start to see prices stabilise again as demand picks up. And again, we're unfortunately, we're going through another flat demand time. But as demand picks up, those prices will start to come back to a level which is then long-term sustainable. And sure, the guys like Molycore and Linus are going to be there at the forefront with their big light rare earth production. There is still scope for other companies like ourselves with four to 5,000 tonnes a year of production, which aren't impacted to the same degree as you know, the bigger guys, Linus and Molycorp. So it's still a very good business. It's going through another transition that it will go through over the next, as I said, one to two years. The Chinese are looking at it much more long-term sustainable now than what they're doing to the industry inside China. So it is a good business, but the trouble is that the market has just taken this very negative view on it at present and uh, is not standing back and looking at the fundamentals when they're trying to value these companies. And unfortunately, we see it quite often. Regardless of all of that negative news in the rare metal space, Tom Lee is about to go into production. You've just offloaded the McPhillamy Gold Project for $76 million or shares equivalent. And then, of course, the Dubbo Zirconia Project will go into production, generating half a billion dollars a year for perhaps 100 years. So if you're looking for value in the sector at all, Alcan looks like a reasonable risk. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we would agree with you completely, but it's getting that message across. It's very hard. There's still a lot of skepticism, and particularly when you start talking capital costs of a billion dollars. You know, people always say to you, well, how are you going to raise that? How are you going to raise that in this market? The short answer is, look, we're not trying to raise a billion dollars today. Maybe 12 months, 18 months' time when we need the money, that's when we're back out there and there are multiple ways to do it. So people shouldn't get too negative at this stage about the industry and you know, about where Alcane will be in you know, two years' time or three years' time. Well, Ian, it's been a fascinating conversation this week. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks, Ellis. It's nice to talk to you too. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, CEO and Managing Director of Alcane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Find their logo and click through to the Alcane website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is themorganreport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Ellis. Now, there's a little bit of a correction in the market right now. While we've seen bullion prices come up in the last several weeks, stocks haven't come up or come back significantly. 
this pullback isn't more than profit-taking, and no one should be fooled by this correction. What do you think? Well, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. Stocks you're following probably haven't moved, but a lot of the ones that are that we recommended have done extremely well. In fact, some are making new highs. One's uh, gone from minus 40% to, like, plus 40% in the same time frame we're talking about during these last few weeks. So, uh, of course, we are very, very, very picky, Ellis, as you know. It depends which ones you're looking to. Certainly, a lot of the undercapitalized microcap stocks haven't done anything, but some of the better quality stocks have done quite well during this time frame. So, anyway, moving on, what do I think on the metals themselves? We were in a long-term consolidation between 34 and 35 on the silver market, and I put out a, an update to our membership explaining what I saw going forward, and it looked to me as if we were more moving to the downside than the upside. I told them that on my personal portfolio, if we got below 33.50 on a close-only basis, I would be out the market. That has taken place. Got in, or I got in rather, at 28 basis a spot month out at uh, under 33.50 on basic end basis a spot month. It isn't surprising to see this market, any market, move above a resistance level and then come back and test it one more time. And that's about where we're at. We've gone through this level about three times. We're back to it. Now now are about to test it, it looks like. We're doing this, you know, midday, so I don't know how the market's going to close today. Gold has a very similar pattern. It's about the 1780 level. It's fallen off from that. Looking at the commitment of traders reports on both the metals, both gold and silver, were very, very disheartening. Usually when you get that much short positions that are open, you usually can see a sell-off within the next uh, week or two or three. And that's again where we're at now so i'm not shocked by this in any stretch basically warned my people this is what i expected and uh, lo and behold here we are so a buying opportunity for traders again not yet i'd have to see more data ellis uh, i like to just wait and see it's going to be really tough on this one because either i've got to pick a bottom and bottom and top picking is pretty difficult i'm better picking tops and bottoms although i've done well on both or you have to wait for the resistance level to get pushed through again and buy on a breakout which is a safer way to go but you're going to be paying a higher price so as an example on silver if it broke through 35 and stayed there then that would be a buying opportunity because all of the resistance has been overcome on the other hand if this market's going to let's say stop around oh, 32 and a half or 31 or something along those lines pretty tough to pick but you can you can certainly take a stab at it and um, you know get in at that level and then hopefully it turns around based on you know whatever indicators you use and away you go and you pick another bottom so i'm undecided at this point i'm very very much like richard russell i let the market tell me what to do i try not to tell the market anything i try to be objective as possible obviously i'm very bullish to metals i'm very bullish honest money and very bullish truth in the financial system but all that aside i also have to look at the market from what the market's doing manipulated or not and make determinations based on that data so i take that into account as well as the fundamentals and that's how i make my calls well we're not going to see the buying opportunity for silver or gold that we saw in the summer anytime soon are we i doubt it i mean you know i made the observation that buying silver under 30 would be good long term and the equivalent in gold we had about six months to do that and are we going to get below 30 or not i'd be arrogant saying that no we won't because i don't know but i really really doubt it i think again the worst we're going to get in this pullback is probably 3250 maybe the 31 dollar level even perhaps 30 but i really don't see it going below that level again i could be wrong but with all this going on with the money printing and really the desperation that's going on in the global financial system and i don't want to use that word again desperation that 
the powers that be are in this this mess, this quagmire. They can't get out of it because of that fact. I think that again that you're going to see you know a very small correction relative to where we're going. In other words, you could see silver in again the thirty-one dollar level or something along those lines, which is nothing compared to the upside. And the market keeps absorbing this pumping of U.S. dollars into the system, doesn't it? Well, it does. Basically, liquefying the banking system more than anything else. You have all this liquidity, all this money printing, as we refer to. It's really borrowing by the federal government for money they don't have and can't tax. But all that borrowing goes in, but it's basically going to the commercial banks and not being lent out very much. So the banks, you know, have great balance sheets. They got all this cash, which replaces all the toxic debt that they have because they've given out loans that are not performing. So the bank's balance sheets look very strong, but the general economy isn't being helped at all. The physical economy continues to struggle. Yes, there are some areas that have done better, and perhaps there's a little bit more buying here and there in the consumer sector, but the reality is it hasn't done much at all, and this is QE3. I mean, how many more times do we have to QE before we're not going to get anywhere. And the interesting thing about QE3 is it's unlimited. There is no end date like there was with QE1 and 2. An Operation Twist gave an end date. There is no real set amount other than the amount of $40 billion per month, but that's like uh, as a minimum target. There's no maximum. And then our European counterparts basically said, well, we're going to continue to, to you know print money until long as necessary, until, you know, whatever. So basically, both the Eurozone and the U.S. zone have said, look, we're just going to continue to put out funny money in any way, shape, or form that we possibly can for as long as we can, as hard as we can, until something good happens. But nothing good happened with, other than for the banks. Again, I want to be clear there. But for the, the economy overall, it hasn't really helped very much. I mean, again, you could probably make some small arguments here and there and give some very small examples, but the general health economy really has not been helped in any noticeable way. I'm just looking at an article that came out yesterday where a Fed chairman has said the Fed's effort, quote, not only helped strengthen the U.S. economic recovery, but by boosting U.S. spending and growth, it has the effect of helping support the global economy as well. Bernanke has practically come out and said we're funding the world right now with our funny money. Yeah, well, they have. I mean, they've been kind of caught because since it's a private corporation, they don't really have to report to anybody. I mean, you might remember a few years ago, I'm off track slightly, but I forget if it was Congressman Paul or somebody asked something directly to Bernanke about the amount of money that was loaned, or who did it go to, I think was the question. And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you. He said, well, you, you know, you have to. He says, no, I don't. No. He's going to quit real quick. No. And he's right. He doesn't. It's a private corporation. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. I mean, when he goes into Congress, it's basically a courtesy on the Fed's part. And Bernanke, and I'm not a big fan of his, but I will compliment him in this instance, has been a little more transparent than Greenspan. I mean, Greenspan was the master of obfuscation. I mean, he would obfuscate everything. I mean, he would say, talk at such gobbledygook that no one could understand what he was saying, but he sure did a, made a great job doing it. Bernanke's a little bit more forthright, and at times Greenspan was as well, but nonetheless, if you listen and really separate the way from the chaff of what took place during even the Greenspan years, they basically say, look, we're broke, we can't keep these unfunded liabilities going forever, you guys are borrowing too much, which means the federal government, then that's burdened by the U.S. 
citizenry, it does not get to end well. I mean, basically, if you listen carefully and you got to kind of piece it together, they're basically saying this. I mean, even Bernanke has said at times that, you know, it can't go on forever, and nothing that can go on forever, as Chris Dwayne says, will. I mean, it won't go on forever. So even they know, but they don't know what to do about it other than print their way out of it. And what happens there, of course, is you get this somewhat slow burn for a while until it catches fire, and people will continue to get their their unemployment insurance, and they'll get their Social Security, and they'll get their disability, and they'll get their food stamps, and they'll get all these government-backed programs. But they will not provide the meaning that they had in earlier years, and they'll get to a point where they're almost meaningless. And that, of course, causes people great pain and suffering, or can. And that's the direction we're heading, because the chances of the government saying, well, today's the last day, we're not going to make any more payments, pretty remote. But again, from a practical point of view, you're going to get to that point anyway, because you're going to get to a point where that Social Security check that used to cover your bills for three weeks, or well, only going to cover it for three days, and then it'll be a point where it only covers it for three minutes. I'm joking, but given the idea. And that's the problem. So they will continue this path, as far as I know, and I've seen, and I've studied, where they pretend that everything is okay, and they pretend that the inflation rate is low, and they pretend that the check that you're sending you is as good as the one that was the month before, but in reality it's not. And the reality where it really hurts us, we see the Dow over 13,000, we see a lot of positive pretend numbers, but the reality is the cost of durable goods is going through the roof, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of your fixed cost items are higher. I mean, a good thing for any of our listeners to do is to ask a contractor, either that's still working or not, and say, could you build this house at this cost? In other words, with the real estate market being in the dire straits that they're in, ask a contractor, new construction, if they could build a whatever, pick your number, 1,500 square foot house for the same price that it's on the market for. And in most cases, you'll find the answer is no. In other words, to start from scratch, buy the land, get all the permits, put in the power and the water and everything else and build the house will cost more than what you could buy it for uh, in these distressed situations. The problem there continues, and that is that these property values may go even lower. So this puts a big bar on the construction industry. If you can buy used construction for lower than new construction, but we're tr- I'm trying to compare apples to apples here, but the new construction being, or you know, the old construction being maybe a year old. In other words, I'm trying to make it very equivalent, and that's the situation. And it's not all over the place, but in, in the areas that I travel, I travel a lot, as you know, Alice. I mean, that's been the case in every time I've done that experiment house. You know, could you reconstruct that house, that same house, for the cost that you could buy it for? The answer is no. So this is a problem. I mean, this is something that digs really deep into the wherewithal, the physical economy, and it's based more than construction, but construction was sort of the last vestige of hope by this uh, debt-based monetary system, as long as we kept building. And anyone that caught that motif, that mode, that way of doing business, it was China. They did it on a macro scale. I mean, you thought our construction industry was overbuilt. Well, certainly the Chinese is underbuilt relative to their population, but hugely overbuilt relative to their economic base. They have these cities to nowhere that are constructed, built, ready to be moved into, but no one can afford it. So there's big problems based in that money-based system, and it continues. It's not really getting better. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp's 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, Ellis martinreport.com we offer expert opinions only find them on our website ellismartinreport.com that's ellismartinreport.com and we're back well speaking of the chinese and i'm glad you brought it up and let's talk about infrastructure and stimulus money and all that it comes to my attention that some of these large contracts for roads and bridges in the u.s have been in fact picked up by chinese national companies this is true at what point do they start building homes for us? <laughs> well, they probably are already. I, I'm laughing, but it, there probably is some construction outfit somewhere, you know, a pretty good scale that is, but I don't know that as a fact. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes? I mean, basically, since the Chinese have been so generous in buying our debt for so long, although they've slowed down noticeably the last year or so or two, but nonetheless, you don't know what goes on when, you know, Geithner or whomever goes over and meets with the finance ministry between the two countries, there could be some oh, written or unwritten agreements that such and such work will be provided to Chinese corporations within the U.S. And that doesn't, you know, wouldn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, a lot of American businesses are based in China, a lot of manufacturing for, I shouldn't say U.S., because it depends where they are domiciled for their legal fiction, their corporation, their their living, breathing fiction of a corporation. But these global corporations, a lot of them do their manufacturing out of China or in Asia generally, anyhow, because it's cheaper, labor force is cheaper, there's not as many regulations, they've got a higher profit margin, and on and on the story goes. So to see that reciprocate somewhat for Chinese contractors to come into the U.S. and build out, you know, as you say, infrastructure here doesn't surprise me. In fact, it may be part of the World Trade Agreement. It could be part of any of those treaties that have been passed without any real due diligence on the part of the people because they're left out of the process. And away we go. And we're heading down to the final stretch here as far as U.S. politics is concerned. Does any of this have an effect on the market one way or the other? Well, I think what we've discussed, no. I mean, immediate, no. I think it's, a, again, kind of a slow grind here. And unfortunately, there are black swans and there are anomalies and there are one-offs. In other words, there are situations where you wake up and things are totally different in a given sector. I mean, for example, take a bank for a, a talking point. I mean, you can wake up in London one day and BlackRock is like closing its doors. Now, if you were in a different bank, you might have felt sorry for your neighbor that had all their money in BlackRock, but you really weren't affected. And those kind of things can happen. In fact, I can almost guarantee that more and more and more of them will happen. And so people need to, you know, really wake up. I think anyone that's listening to this show or is listening to your show over the years, Ellis, has 
pretty astute, and I think most of them have probably taken some kind of positive action, but nonetheless, it's not something that a lot of people are really aware of, and if they are aware of it, they kind of discount it. And unfortunately, it's not to be discounted because you need to be early, not late. Uh, Once those bank doors close, it's pretty hard to get in. But that's sort of a less likely scenario to happen now as opposed to three or four years ago. There's too many safeguards that have been added by the feds, let's say, to make sure that any of the big banks aren't really going to fail right now. Isn't it all washed out? Well, I'd say that's a great point, Also, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I don't want to contradict myself. Basically, uh, the banks have been reliquified to a great degree, and even these banks that are failing and insolvent, usually in the U.S. anyway, and even in, in uh, London as well, and Great Britain, they're merged with other banks that are quote-unquote solvent, and, you know, people don't really get locked out, as I, as I said, so let me be a little clearer. Let me use the brokerage industry. I think that's a lot more accurate. I mean, you had MF Global, and a lot of people there went to Peregrine Financial Group, PFG, and then it failed. That's probably a better one as far as where to be careful. And I wouldn't rule out the banks entirely, but as you said, I mean, since there's only funny money, I mean, it's basically digital money, and it can be created by putting your finger on a computer screen somewhere. You don't have a lot to fear there, but in the brokerage industry, there's a lot more to fear because these shenanigans, I'll call them, that have been going on throughout that sector have caused a lot of people to lose a lot of money. Speaking of shenanigans, there was a day a few weeks ago when the J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank America websites were slow and overloaded. And it turns out that the Iranians had everything to do with getting into the system with a bit of cyber warfare. How safe is your digital money in that scenario? Well, that's it, too. I was going to bring up something similar. I was thinking about, you know, a power failure, either a long-term one or a short-term one, uh, on the banking system, broker system, either one. That's one that we hardly ever talks about is Internet cyber warfare. And those things do exist. I mean, we did it. We did it with this situation with this uh, nuclear buildups purportedly, and I don't really know what the facts are on that, but we went in with this worm program and really messed them up for a while. And, of course, it goes two ways, and that's the whole idea is that these things are can be real problems. Unless you have silver or gold as a currency. Well, that's certainly a big, big help, yes. That can't be printed. That can, that's not at the whim of any digit or digital play. So, no, it's one of the main reasons. I mean, there's several reasons, but that's one of the main ones, really, is it's outside of the matrix, as I call it. It isn't dependent on anybody's whim. It's just dependent on uh, your ability to hold your own money. And if you hold it, you know, safe and sound, you're in good shape. And to become one of your educated followers on The Morgan Report, what do we have to do? I just go to the website, themorganreport.com, all one word, and you can uh, find the membership services on the right-hand side, the pull-down menu. There's also a video up on the front page right now. We will be increasing our prices at the end of the year. And you can lock in the current price, which is probably the lowest in the industry, and continue to hold that price as long as you maintain your membership. So it's, in my view, of course, I'm very biased. I am the proprietor along with the staff, but go ahead and have a look. You have several ways to get some free information and get a taste of the Morgan Report before one would commit to what I believe is a reasonable subscription fee. Exactly. There's an e-letter that comes out once a week that's free. Uh, That pretty much puts together all the interviews I do like this during the week and also a question a week that usually comes from a subscriber. And then we also have a YouTube channel, which is Silver Guru, and a Twitter feed, which is Silver Guru 22. 
David, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to visiting with you again in the very near future. My pleasure. Thank you, Ellis. I've been speaking with money, metals, and mining expert David Morgan. His website is themorganreport.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. It's Car Kicks. Classics, custom sports cars and trucks, plus news, great places to go, and products you'll love at carkicks.com. That's K-A-R-K-I-X.com. Now, here's the host of Car Kicks, Bob Lang. Well, it's SEMA time of year, and SEMA is car candy land. This year's no exception. You always find a surprise or two. If you love old Mustangs, well, hon, good news is here. The 64 to 66 Mustang is the most restored vintage vehicle ever, but the number of original bodies is shrinking every year. So Ford subbed out Pennsylvania-based Dynacom International the job of, ready, producing precise duplicates of the original 65 body with upgrades that customers are likely to want. The new body shell is made of virgin metal, uses modern welding techniques. It comes rust-proof. And after final adjustment and finished preparation of the body panels, ready for painting and final assembly. The steel used in the new bodies is a higher grade than the original Mustangs. They're using modern universal automotive-grade steel that's stronger than the original and modern welding techniques along with more welds to strengthen the body. The new ones should last much better than the originals. The 65 Mustang body includes virtually all the original car sheet metal from the radiator support to the taillight panel, including the trunk lid and doors. The only thing missing are the hood and front fenders, which are sold separately. The body kit costs $15,000 and is shipped directly to you, according to the Detroit Bureau Report. The kit can be transformed into anything from the original 64 and a half Mustang to a 66, depending on the powertrain and trim parts. And you can order just about all the replacement parts from Ford to finish an original pony car from the ground up at Ford restorationparts.com. Meanwhile, Dynacom also has body shells for the 67 through 70 Mustangs available. Oh yeah, it's good times at Ford. If you don't want to make someone's old car, how about a new car that, yes, you design? You know, you could be your own Bertone, Pininfarina, Shinoda, Duntov. Local Motors is a new American car company with the purpose of designing and manufacturing cars for niche markets. Local Motors co-creates vehicles and components with their community of designers, engineers, and enthusiasts using open source principles. Anyone can join the Local Motors community at local-motors.com, and anyone can help choose which vehicles are produced and available for purchase. They don't sell kit cars. They make the cars from scratch. Customers get to build their co-created vehicle at a micro factory with professional assistance. The build is completed during two three-day build weekends. Local Motors is the first automotive co-creation community and the first company to produce an open-source vehicle. They're less than four years old, and you can check them out through the link at carkicks.com. Car Checks will perform a 155-point pre-inspection auto inspection almost anywhere in the USA. They have detailed auto inspection reports that include the condition of the body and paint, dents, scratches, rust, tires, wheels, glass, interior, missing parts, oil leaks, electrical items, and the drivetrain's performance. If you're going to buy a car, you want to get it inspected. It's the Car Kicks Car Checks. 
Say it five times fast, but check it out today at carkicks.com. And now the final chapter in our soap opera series, The Saga of Saab. Facing imminent collapse, Saab has given two Chinese companies complete control once approved by Chinese regulators. The $141 million purchase price is a fraction of what had originally been offered for a significantly smaller part in Saab. But the company appeared to have few other options with a court-appointed administrator ready to drop the bankruptcy hammer. Saab becomes the second Swedish automaker to become Chinese following Ford's sale of Volvo to Geely in early 2010. The new deal means a much stronger future for Saab. Efforts will begin almost immediately to reopen the assembly plant under new management. Saab will be taken over by Peng Da, China's largest automotive retailer, and Youngman Lotus, an aspiring Chinese automaker. Exactly how things will change for Saab remains to be seen. A management bloodbath is certain. When the new Saab takeover wins approval, the Chinese will then own the entire Swedish auto industry. While Chinese national automotive market is now the world's largest, domestic makers like Youngman Lotus and Geely have grand ambitions to expand into the world stage. That's proven difficult so far, so using the Saab name will probably make things a little easier. And so concludes the saga of Saab for now. See you right here next time with more Car Kicks. Join us on the web at carkicks.com. That's K-A-R-K-I-X dot com. Bye-bye.